You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Hey everybody, welcome to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee and joining me in Southampton, England, the birthday boy, Jonathan Havercroft. Hello. Jonathan, happy birthday. Thank you. You are one year closer to being eligible for seniors. Yeah, but my problem is I'm, so the seniors cut off July 1st, so I actually got to wait. You have an entire extra year that you have to wait. Yeah, I'll, I'll be like 51 when I can play seniors. That's not fair. Well, I got an extra year when I was a junior, so. Uh, okay. All right. Well, all right. I guess you can't have it have it both ways then. That'll spare uh, that'll spare Stu Brand and Greg Dunn the sadness of having to play with me or against me for one year. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have today an interview that you did. Uh, you did it before I woke up with uh, with someone from the Belgian uh, Curling Federation. Well, I guess he's not, he, he, he doesn't have a, a job with the Belgian Curling Federation, but he's a, a member of it and is also involved with the dedicated curling facility that was built in Belgium. And we'll get to that in just a second. But first, we do have a couple pieces of curling news. One is from San Francisco here in the United States. Our friends at San Francisco Bay Area Curling Club are very close to realizing their dream of having their own dedicated curling facility. However, they put out a video on YouTube saying that they are a few thousand dollars short and they do have to come up with that money before the end of July. It is Today we are recording this on July 18th. So they've got a little under a couple of weeks to come up with that. And you can learn more about their capital campaign uh, over at dedicatedice.com. But they they have the building. It looks like it's a good way finished, but they're, they're short a few thousand bucks and they have to come up with it here pretty quick. And they explain why uh, in the video that they put on YouTube as well. And then elsewhere, we did have the Axarbon Curling Club in Omaha reached out to us. We asked for bond spiel announcements, so they sent them in to us. Their first bond spiel, they have a one-day fun spiel on October 30th with a two-game guarantee and a costume contest. That's likely going to be mostly for people who are local to Omaha uh, or if you've, you're within driving range that... That might be a good one for you, but their main bond spiel, the Irish Open, is March 25th through 27th. It's a 20-team open bond spiel, and you can learn more about it at curlaxarbon.com, and that is, Axarbon is Nebraska spelled backwards, but I've played in that spiel before. Really, really good people at Axarbon Curling Club, and their bond spiel has grown since I've played in it, and it's a really fun time. So I suggest that if you have the means to get to Omaha to go check out their spiel. Is that the rink which has like a lot of glass on the side or not? Like you can see outside? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It looks they were cool. not at that rink. 
they were not at that rink when I played there, but yeah, you have a really nice, yeah, you really nice view while you're playing, even though you're on arena ice. <laughs> it, it looks cool on, on social media. Yep. So Jonathan, who did you talk to from Belgium? I talked to Gary Hermans, who's, I listened to the podcast uh, and he's kind of messed us a few times. We figured we are trying to go around the world here. If, right <laughs> kind of slowly but surely we went to australia last week and we've been uh, to a whole bunch of other places so we figured uh let's go to belgium and actually as i was doing the interview i realized that belgium is probably the closest curling rank to the one i play at in kent oh really by distance i think i i'm gonna double check it but i think it's i'm gonna double it's because it's about 300 miles from Tunbridge Wells to Preston. I think Zemps is probably a bit, a little bit less. Maybe the Dutch one might be closer. I don't know. Does the but, Netherlands have a, have a dedicated curling facility? Yes, we should do a Netherlands episode. We next, should you know dig dig into that the Lowland rivalries? Yeah, just go right right next door. Uh, right next door. Yes, that? they they I have a rink they... at Zotermeer, and that's actually a cool facility because it's a three sheeter in a building, and because um ice skating like um like long track ice skating yeah is really is, popular there. is really, really good up in the netherlands they actually have a giant oval mm-hmm. around it upstairs and then the rink is downstairs in the middle of the oval i guess yeah. it's a pretty cool facility and they've got like a large ice hockey rink also so i think that's the setup that they have in salt lake utah i are We'll have to reach out to our friends in Salt Lake and see if I'm right there. But I think that they took that Olympic oval that they had for the 2002 games and basically could put curling ice in the middle of it. But I'll have to check on that. I'm probably wrong. <laughs> but the, what I found really interesting about your chat with Gary from Belgium is they are very focused on, first and foremost, growing the grassroots aspect of the game and maintaining the social aspect of the game rather than putting money into high performance. Because even though they have now a dedicated curling facility in Belgium, they would rather use it to introduce people to the sport and use it to take advantage of, take advantage of the warm room and maintaining the social aspect rather than trying to, trying to compete with the, the rest of Europe at uh, an in international, in international curling. Yeah, and I think the other thing to note is they really see Learn to Curls as a money spinner for the rank. Like, like he was pretty clear in the interview that that's, that's the primary majority of their income is that. And they see it not... I think a lot of clubs see Learn to Curls primarily as a membership recruitment tool. Mm-hmm. They see it as kind of a core part of their business that actually... And we, we, when we talked to the, the rink manager in, in Taudi and same thing was mm-hmm. that maybe most people don't want to join curling, but they may want to come and, and give it a try once. And so maybe what, one mistake I've seen a lot of kind of newer clubs make is they, they give away the learn to curl for free, hoping that that will convert into membership and actually maybe 2%, 3% of your learn to curlers will become yep. Members, So I think some of the, the cleverer clubs have figured out that, no, what you do is you, you charge it at a reasonable price to make some money, yep. use it as a bit of publicity. And if you get 
some conversion out of it, it's great, but primarily use it as a way to help fund the other activities. Yeah, and if they've spent $25, $30 to try curling, they've got a little bit of a sk- of, of skin in the game rather than just doing it for free. Yeah, and I think I think that's important. I, I do think that curlers sometimes underprice and undervalue undervalue the time of members when they're volunteering these kinds of things and under underprice also. Um, you know, these days twenty five bucks I don't know anyway, I I'm sure like an evening of bowling would cost the same, right? If mm-hmm. not more. I haven't been bowling in ages, but yep. most other nights out would cost about that. So it's I think, you know, reasonable to to charge something along those lines. All right. Well, let's learn more about curling in Belgium and get right to it. Here's uh, Jonathan's interview with Gary Hermans from Curling Zimst in Belgium. Where are you originally from and what was it like growing up there? Yeah, I was born in a town of about 70,000 people called Derne, which is just on the southeast perimeter of uh, Antwerp. And I think it's now actually one of the... um, not a suburb, one of the yeah, communes, I guess you could say, the greater Antwerp area. So like I said, my, my grandmother is English. I was raised kind of bilingually, Dutch and Flemish, uh, Dutch and English, I mean. Yeah, it was a small town kind of thing on the edge of a larger town and didn't really play a lot of sports until I was about 12, 13 and um, never looked back. I played a lot of sports kind of like at provincial level, like tennis and volleyball. Mm-hmm. This may be your second question, but I only got into curling uh, at the back end of 2016. Oh wow! So, so tell us a bit about that. What what drew you into curling then? Yeah, so I have a um, a golfing buddy of like 30 plus years, and uh, he's Canadian, but he's lived in Belgium all of his life. So um, we're actually in a on a on a long weekend somewhere with the family and he, he calls my wife uh, all excited a bit and a half and he said oh i lost gary's phone number and big opportunity and yada 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 look at his email when he so i looked at his email once we got back to the hotel and um, basically the question was okay well last year i went to the world senior championship with a team that team disbanded I'm trying to get a new team together, but the fourth guy, that didn't work out because of the age limit. So wouldn't you join us uh, going to Lethbridge to the World Senior Championships next year? <laughs> so um, I called him and I said, well, Wayne, I mean, you, you gave me an initiation of like one hour a couple of years ago and I uh, haven't seen any ice since. So I think you're scraping the bottle of the barrel there. <laughs> but uh, he said, no, no, you're fine. And we'll do, you know, pretty intensive training and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then, you know, they were, our current club, they were getting it up and running and there were some construction delays. So we ended up um, joining a club in Tilburg in the Netherlands. Um, so, yeah, by the time I got to Lethbridge, I'd, I'd had maybe like 50 hours of ice time. Um, and I, I just barely managed not to embarrass myself. But it was a it was a great experience. You know. Like I said, I mean, I've, I've done several sports um, kind of like at provincial level. But, um, yeah, it was it was really nice to go to like a world championship, even even though it was seniors and have the flag ceremony and everything. It was it was great. And uh, haven't looked back since. Wow. So what's the history of curling in Belgium? You mentioned there's one dedicated ice facility that was just built. We'll get into that in a bit. But was there any curling in Belgium before that or? Yeah, I need to speak at my notes. I have a peek at my notes. But, yeah, it actually started in. roughly around 1985 and and at the at the ice rink where you know the town i grew up in but um i i really can't recall because i went 
ice skating and dabbled a little bit in ice hockey uh, when I was in high school. So that was just prior to that. And I can't recall seeing any curling rocks ever there. But that's, yeah, that's where a club kind of started up. And then um, apparently it petered out. So between um, 95 and 2005, there wasn't any curling in Belgium. And oh, wow. also that club, I don't think that club was associated with the WCF. I think it was ICF at the time, right? Yeah. And then 2005, apparently some guys got together. They they actually got the rocks from that original Derna club. Um, and they started up a club again in uh, Mechelen, which is a town, provincial town, like halfway between Antwerp and Brussels. Uh, so they got into the ice ring there, which is actually a town called Leest next to Mechelen. And uh, yeah, they started up the Mechelen Curling Club there. And then 2014, two additional clubs started up, one in Ghent and one in Turnout, which again is a provincial town like 30 k's east of Antwerp. Um, that's a little bit of history. And um, I think, yeah, obviously in the meantime, with those three clubs, they also um, they joined the WCF. Yeah, mid 2010s, I guess, or maybe a little bit earlier. And then we worked towards the dedicated ice facility. You, so you've mentioned that you played an international championship even before there was dedicated ice. So does Belgium enter a lot of a lot of the WCF events? Do they they kind of enter all the events. Do they have an Olympic program? What's what's the international aspect of Belgium curling like? Okay, so we have a a, a pretty decent men's team that uh, I've had kind of been bouncing up and down the uh, the B the Euro Bs and Cs for, for quite a while. And they, they're really putting in a lot of time. They got a, a, a guy from uh, a long-standing curler from uh, the Netherlands coaching them for over a year now. So they're they're you know they're pretty um, focused. And uh, so their aim for this year is to um, uh, take one of the top two spots in the C's and then uh, you know get access to the B's and do well there. And they're also planning to um, play in a pre-Olympic qualifier that's going to happen. So, um, yeah, that's a pretty solid team. We used to have a, a ladies team like five, six years ago, but all of those ladies stopped curling because of family commitments and stuff. Um, a new ladies team is only just starting up and they were planning to um, uh, to play internationally when COVID hit. So uh, they've been on hold for a little while. And then uh, and then there's my team, of course, the, the Belgian seniors. So we've always been bouncing around rather more or less the middle of the pack uh, on the in the WSCC uh, competitions. And we're really um, aiming to be around the 10th spot the next time we get to play. Because obviously we're really looking forward to going to BC in 2020 and then it was cancelled. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed that we'll have one uh, next year. I would be amiss not to mention that we have a mixed team as well. Um, not exactly up and comers because, um, but um, they um, they played in Stavanger in 2019 uh, to get some experience. I think they were you know, bottom fifth or tenth place. Um, but yeah, their that team is going to keep going as well and and try and do as as well as they can. And it's uh, you know they don't really have the ambition to. Um, to rank really highly, um, but obviously it builds up experience that we can pass on to the next generation for sure. And so, how does this, how does curling fit into the sports culture in Belgium? Uh, are there other sports that are popular besides football? Obviously, the football team's very good, and and Lukaku is like a very famous footballer. But uh, are there other activities uh, that curling competes with for participants? 
Yeah, for sure. You know, football is king or soccer for our American friends, uh, listeners. Uh, cycling is also really big. We've had um, a lot of cycling success over the years. But um, yeah, I mean, lately you see some other sports coming to the forefront. I mean, we've had some uh, ladies number one uh, in the past decade in, in tennis. Um, our field hockey team, they're, I think they're currently world champion, right? Um, and the ladies team is uh, also top five, I think. So, um, yeah, there's some other sports that you could say are still a little bit niche in Belgium, but uh, we're definitely kind of been punching above our weight there on the on the global scale for those. When it comes to winter sports, I think we've um, we had, you know, both in skiing and skating, um, we have had some folks that are kind of OK at the Euro European level, but n- nothing major. Uh, but we do have a, like a world class snowboarder. Uh, who's been to the Olympics and, and done well on the circuit, I believe. Okay, so so the, the big thing, I guess the big development is the dedicated curling rink. This obviously changed curling in, in Belgium significantly. Um, so how old is the rink? And can you tell us a little bit about the process that your association went through to build it? Yeah, so we we uh, finally opened in um, May 2017, and and the plans got kickstarted because the um, you know curling club Mechelen, as it was called at the time, they um, they were in arena ice, and that ice rink was going to close down. So um, a couple of guys, uh, one he's Tom, our current club manager, and another Peter, who's one of our board members, they basically um, you know got some help, put the business case together. And initially they entered the um, the WCF competition for the portable facility that was going on at the time. Uh, ended up close, but not good enough. So they ranked second. I think it it actually went to a finished location at the time. Uh, those were, they were the winners of that, of that comp- uh, competition. But then they, um, I mean, they, they had this quite solid case um, and they started bumping it around with um, folks like Darrell from the from the World Curling Federation, and I think uh, our good friend from Scotland, who's on the board, uh, his name uh, escapes me for now. Um, Is it so Richard got, Harding, or yeah, yeah, our good friend Richard Harding, indeed. Yeah, who's also uh, the uh, owner and operator of uh, the Green Acres Curling Rink, so he Green knows Acres, a lot about facilities. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they they gave us some good advice and and, and pushed these guys to actually continue with it. So um, they started looking at the financials and they thought they, uh, you know, kind of bare bone basics, but still tried to have a nice club. They needed about 400,000 euros. So um, and it, I think the club only had about 20,000 in the in the bank at the time. Mm. So um, yeah, they were kicking ideas around for funding. Uh, obviously, they went to the went to and obtained uh, one of the WCF's uh, interest-free loans, which we're still paying back at the moment. And they also uh, started a, a crowdfunding initiative. So um, with, with a little incentive, so depending on the amount that people put in there, they would get their name on a bar stool or their name in the eyes and that kind of stuff. I, I can't recall exactly how, man, how much money we got there, but uh, between the amount that we raised there and the interest-free loan from the WCF, that was enough to secure a bank loan to um, top up the rest. And then they they looked at the numbers and they said, well, let's go for a three sheeter rather than a than a two, um, because I mean the, the the 
the money wasn't all that different. So that's how we ended up with our um, with our three sheet facility. And um, again, I would be amiss if I wouldn't mention the, the town of Zems to really support us and basically gave us uh, the land to use for free. So it, was it just a case of them supporting the sports club or it's kind of obviously in, in Europe land is very expensive. So how did you get how did you persuade the municipality to, to donate that land to you? Our municipalities they do have um, quite some money available to um, support both local activities and local sport and then in the Flanders um, area there's something called Sports Flanderen who also have um, funds and, and push sometimes to to get it through and and one of our um, uh, BCA Belgian Curling Association uh, board members he actually works for that association so he does know you know has a good handle on what the rules are and what kind of grants you can apply for and all that kind of stuff so I guess the two combined really persuaded the commune to um, because I think they actually first asked the town of Mechelen you know where where the ice rink was based but they mm. really didn't have any uh, have any opportunities and uh, it seemed like Zems was really happy to um, to accommodate us and it is a little bit. I mean, it's uh, it's it's like five to ten minutes north of the uh, Brussels airport, uh, halfway between the airport and the town of Mechelen. So it's it's not exactly rural, but it is you know not really that built up. So they do have some spaces around, and it also fit in. I think it fit in with their philosophy as well of having an area where a lot of sports are concentrated. I mean, there's a youth club located right next to it. There's a dog pound. There's um, bow and arrow kind of shooting club there was um, a tennis club a little bit further down so i think their long-term vision which is now coming true is to kind of bundle all of these together in that particular area so i guess our it may have been a question of just being there at the right time and the right place and to put that question to them what were the challenges with building the rink was it was it just i i think no building project ever goes as smoothly as planned so you obviously must have had some challenges because you can kind of walk us through the different steps in the process once you had the land and the funding secured yeah there we have a whole dossier out on our um, on our club's webpage for people that you know want to read up on that and then see you know how we eventually got there i mean even the technical plans and stuff are there so i think that for some people that are looking to to start up a facility that might be a good resource but yeah i mean other than construction delays and the usual you know hassle with contractors um, when it comes to the actual land one of the challenges was that it's quite close to like a small brook so the the ground wasn't super stable to put like a heavy um heavy structure on there so i think in the end they decided to um concrete it in and then kind of build up the floor um rather than having a fully heavy um, concrete slab on there. So that also means that currently our pipes for the cooling system, they're not actually embedded in concrete, but they're like on, just on top of it. Mm. Yeah, so that also means that it takes us a little bit longer to, to, to build the ice because the water first has to go above the cooling pipes before you can put your regular ice slab. So that's um, some of, and, and then cleaning in between the stuff isn't all that handy. So uh, that takes us some extra man hours uh, every time we build up the ice. But um, yeah, I think those were the main main challenges. The other thing, just from a construction point of view, they did want to have a viewing area, you know, like 60, 70 centimeters above the ice. So uh, yeah, working out that, how that would work with the, the, um, the, la the, uh, the surface that wasn't super stable that um, 
was something for a construction engineer to look at. But uh, yeah, it worked out fine in the end. And so you did the, all of it. So you this was a custom built from the beginning. It was you didn't convert a pre-existing facility to a curling rank. Correct. Custom built. Oh, wow. And you were able to do that for all for 400,000 euros or was there extra cost in the construction on top of the ice plant? I assume, obviously, but. Yeah, I think in the end, it probably found out something like five, six hundred thousand. Again, all the numbers are out on our website. Mm. Um, but yeah, we, we kept the cost down wherever possible. And then things that we wanted to do in the beginning, we just added on later on. Uh, I mean, uh, we, we thought about having solar panels to give us the energy that we need from the get-go but obviously that was something that we only were able to put in last year and then we didn't fund it ourselves we we partnered up with a company that puts installations on companies roofs and that kind of stuff so now we have our um, our power at a slightly reduced rate but uh, solar panels are not ours um, and then yeah i mean inside it's um you could yeah it's uh it's it's minimal finish let's say i mean there's mm. stuff that we still want to do you might, you might want to do like a pallet wall and, and more paint and all that kind of stuff but uh, the thing that also helped keep the cost down is that we have a small bar area but we don't have the facility to serve food and stuff knowing what you know now after doing everything are there is there anything you would have done differently yeah for sure i mean one thing that we did well is that we we have like full wheelchair access so both to the front door and onto the ice so we can accommodate uh, wheelchair curlers even though we don't have any currently in belgium um so i think that was thought out pretty good what we definitely know can be done better is um you know separating the the flows to the ice and to the bar um because we do have to you know spend some time in, in in cleaning and making sure that dirt doesn't get onto the ice because it's all like one one way uh the other thing that definitely would have helped is um is getting a proper ice shed because we um so when you enter the facility um uh, obviously there's like probably like a meter 20 of surface behind the ice sheets and that's where we have to store our uh, our ice boss so rather than having a, a dedicated shed, um, yeah, that that would have been good. But obviously, it would have extended the hall and increased the cost again. So, mm-hmm. but there's always, um, I mean, in hindsight, there's always things that you can improve, right? But uh, yeah. sometimes the, the 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 money or lack thereof kind of <laughs> prevents you from doing those things, even though that if you know that they're the good the good thing or the good way to go. What do you think it was about the, the town of Zemst and Belgium in general that made you think you could make dedicated curling successful there? We definitely don't have the traditional business model. You mentioned Green Acres. You know, there's God knows how many clubs in that facility and how many people churn through that on a, on a daily basis. Um, I think the whole of Belgium currently only has like the three clubs together, maybe 100, 120 curlers. So... Um, fees from the curlers was never ever gonna gonna pay our um, you know the loans that we had to pay back and all that kind of stuff. So our model is really heavily geared towards uh, um, I- initiations, learn to curls, either for companies or sports groups or just family and friends groups kind of thing. Obviously, it's been a weird year and a half, but uh, the previous years we we got. Uh, anywhere between four and six thousand people through the facility oh wow on a on a yearly basis so yeah that's that's what pays our rent so to speak we're not too far from Brussels. we're like a 20 25 minutes drive from antwerp so you could say that you're 
quite close to the two largest towns in Brussels. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah, the main attraction was just um, getting to a place where we could get the land, you know, at a really low rent or or for free, used for free, as in this case, and then kind of build it from there. Because if you're talking about, um, you know, getting uh, corporations in, I mean, it's it's not that big of a drive, and for a one-off, for sure, they will come. So, what does your membership look like then? Are, are they mostly from Zemps? You said you only have like around 100, 120 mem- members of the whole country. So, do people come from all over Belgium, or are they just um, local to the rink? And uh, what's the age profile like? Are they older or younger? Do you have junior program? It's. Uh, I mean, there's there's some folks that live fairly local, but uh, I mean, it's it's pretty all over. Um, at least when you talk about the um, the Flemish-speaking part of the country, which is the north side. Yeah, we've got people that, um, so the actually the third club in Belgium, the one from Turnout called Campina, um, their ice rink also closed down. So um, they basically curl out of our facility. And some of these guys have a, like a 40 plus minute drive to get there. Um, so yeah, I think you could say that 80, 90% of our membership probably lives within a 25 kilometer radius 25 30 kilometer radius and yeah i think the average age it's been a while since we looked at it but it's uh, we through the initiation we got some guys in their 20s and early 30s in uh, obviously there's some some of the older folks so the average age is probably easily 35 40 and right now if i'm not mistaken we got about 14 or 15 juniors so that's really when we got together with the board a couple of months ago, and that's really going to be our focus for this and the next couple of uh, coming years to really try and because there's there's um, it's mostly some kids from current colors, but um, some of them have brought some friends. So trying to build up that, um, yeah, the youth membership is, is really going to be our focus in the next uh, couple of years. And um, it, it, it slots in nicely with uh, what the Belgian Curling Federation is trying to do because they um, they bought some of the, um, the the equipment like um, Rocks and Rings is using in Canada. I mean, I think it's going to be an issue finding the people that can actually run it, but for sure we <coughs> we now have the equipment to take it to, to some of the schools and um, you know let them let them experience what what curling is because it's really a, a niche of a niche sports uh, here in Belgium. So you mentioned this a little bit, but I'm, I'm sure like everyone, COVID-19 impacted curling in Belgium. And Belgium also got hit very hard by at least the first wave of the pandemic. What's what's happened to your club? I assume you were locked down for a fair bit of time and all that. But has, has it affected your club profile, of kind of having trouble getting members back? What's your situation now as the pandemic's hopefully winding down? Yeah, so we shut down middle of March last year. And um we got to reopen, I think it was uh, like the 16th to the 19th of September. And then we curled for about a month, month and a half, and then we had to shut down again. And then in May, the, the numbers started looking really good. Um, so we waited until the final confirmation because we actually could have reopened uh, the 9th of June. But then we waited a bit and then obviously we had to, to make our eyes. So we reopened on the um, on the 16th of June. Uh, in our first opening night, club night, we had about uh, all the three sheets were full, so 24, 26 people, which is probably almost half our membership. For uh, definitely for next season, yeah, we've got good hopes of pretty much retaining everybody. 
some of the initiations have all already started picking up. I mean, I did a learn to curl last week, I think it was. And then we take it from there. And for sure, I mean, the, we actually have a Belgium first now because we have ice during the summer. Yeah, because with the board, we decided, OK, we're going to open in June. You know, we're not going to do it for just one month or whatever. So we're going to just stay open over the summer and see how that works. And, uh, and then start our normal season uh, beginning of September. Because we tend to open the first or at latest the last week of September anyway. Last couple of years, we've finished up last week of May or the first week of June. So we tend to have a pretty long season anyway. Mm. So open over the summer and the last uh, next season, we'll just have to figure out are we going to shut it down for a month, month and a half to do maintenance or are we just going to stay open the whole time? It looks like, um, especially when COVID is more behind us than it is now, it definitely looks like we can attract some folks over the summer as well. So, yeah, hopefully the future is bright. And so is your is your facility, um, how's it hold up? I mean, I'm not sure what the weather's like in Belgium today, but here it's 30 degrees Celsius. So how does your how does your facility hold up when it's it's hot in the middle of the summer? Yeah, we do have some challenges, but maybe not the ones that you think. I mean, our, our chiller is... Um, just a touch too powerful which means we have a fairly cold facility throughout the year um, and we can't get it warm enough high you know near the rafters so that does mean that we have a condensation issue um, so not so much keeping the ice okay because you walk into the ice shed in the morning and it's probably like three degrees max uh, even in summer but yeah, we do have a condensation issue so that for the current bond spill, we decided not to use the middle sheet because that's where it kind of tends to drip. Um, and yeah, we're just looking uh, looking for some solutions to um, remediate that. Other than that, yeah, I mean, when was it in uh, May? I think we also had some days uh, pushing 30. Right now it's 25, 26, and that doesn't pose us any issues at all. So uh, it's, uh, yeah, like I said, it's a first. So uh, We'll, we'll just have to see what the weather throws at us and then how we can cope with it. Mm, that's great. Um, so what's your what's next for curling in Belgium? You, you mentioned you're trying to get a junior program going. Are there plans for a high performance program? You've got a team in the seas that's hoping to get promoted. Um, but does the does your club or the association have plans at kind of the more high high performance end of the sport? Right now, the juniors that we have, they're all between something like eight and 12, I think, or seven and 12. So building those up to, you know, really high performance, that's like a 10-year plan, right? Unless mm -hmm. we've got some kids coming in at the age of 14, 15, and they're really good from the from the get-go. So building up that junior program and, and maybe getting out to some schools, you know, from the BCA end kind of thing, that's definitely the plan. Other than that, it's keeping the current team going. I mean, it's, I think in, in our pre-recording conversation we talked a little bit about the Dutch program but that's a completely different ball game right I mean uh, we had some of the Dutch players over for our bond spiel and we were discussing it I mean in the Netherlands all of the funding all of the focus goes to Jaap van Dorp and, mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit on the periphery and, and that's it whereas in Belgium it's it's really still very much curling as you've known it for decades with a very high social aspect yeah if we can get a, a a really good performing team out of that that's fine but so we'll see what our men's team does if they can um, maybe get past the pre-qualifier then maybe we can start talking to our, our olympic federation to get a little bit of funding but um, yeah i don't think we have any kind of high performance um, expectations for the next three four years or so 
Mm. So, so Gary, you're talking to us from your bond spiel today. You're taking a little bit of a break. It's, uh, we had to kind of schedule around your draw. So first of all, how are you? How are you doing? How's your team doing so far? Yeah, we're um, we're four and one. So uh, it's all going according to plan. Um, so with our seniors team, we're we're usually we're ranked like third or fourth in Belgium. So um, we we lost to the second ranked team. That was our first match, and our last match is going to be against the first ranked team, the guys that are trying to get into the B. So we'll see how we'll do this afternoon at three. But it's 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 been nice. We had, um, um, I mean, it was all pretty last minute, so we were actually quite content to uh, to get eight teams at really short notice. Unfortunately, the a team from Netherlands, because of the rising COVID cases again, they um, they decided to cancel. Mm-hmm. So uh, we we reverted to a full a full seven team round robin. We got one team from the Paris area that we're really happy to have. They've been visitors to us over the past, and um, yeah, everybody seems to like the event. And um, COVID-wise, we um, yeah we just kept to the to the local uh, rules that we needed to adhere to. And um, yeah, it's 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 going all fine and dandy right now. So we teamed up with. Um, uh, bread and breakfast in in uh, north of France called uh, Joie de Vivre, and they're associated with a, a champagne house. So um, we actually teamed up with them for we had like a, a Christmas uh, a Christmas drive to get a little bit of money. So we sold sold their champagne, had a little bit on top to you know try and get some funds in the club to tide us over. They donated a really nice first prize, like a luxury weekend at their uh, resort. So. Uh, yeah, even though it's a small bunch bill, that's uh, something to look forward to for the for the first uh, for the first place and the runners up to get some bottles of champagne. So, uh, yeah, all in all, a, a, a very nice, uh, solid result. And on a personal level, it was also nice for me because I used to, you know, f- about two decades ago, I used to organize uh, competitions in my golf club when I was on the board there. And I haven't done that kind of thing in, like I said, a really long time. So uh, getting back into uh, managing a tournament that was uh, that was fun as well. And so, are you, are you planning to have other bond spiels over the course of the year? Yeah. So traditionally, we've always had uh, two in the past couple of years. Um, one is at New Year's, and it's actually organized at our club, but by the Campina Club from Turnout. It's like mm-hmm. a New Year's thing. We've always hosted um, a <laughs> well, a bit of a tongue-in-cheek, but a Belgian Championship short curl. Yeah, uh-huh. so just um, from the from the hog to the to the to the house, <laughs> uh, and that's really just to pull people in and let them you know get a feel for the ice. It's not for the real curlers, but um, yeah, we we've done that every year. And then uh, normally, end our end of season closer is uh, sponsored by a, a beer company called uh, Golden Carolus, Golden Carolus, which is one of the premium beers. And um, so, yeah, we typically have that near the end of May. Uh, and now we're going to have that one at the end of summer. So, uh, yeah, you, you'll be seeing me list that one. It's going to be the last weekend of August. And then that's pretty much going to be it uh, for this year, apart from our club competitions and stuff. Um, mm. So we have so the Belgian Curling Association, they organize a Belgian curling league. Uh, throughout the season, so that's basically our Belgian Championship. It, it's got two 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 pools, so that runs throughout the year. But the other kind of like one-off events is going to be January February normally when we plan to host um, uh, a World Curling Tour event, one for the ladies and one for the men's. Oh wow! So w- this will be 
what what level will it be? Will it be a challenger tier event or or a masters level? Probably challenger. We're still we're still kicking around the options, but yeah, round about that. I mean, not the really high end events like the one in Woods and in Tallinn. You know, those those kinds of level events. So you know, middle to lower tier. But um, yeah, it's, it will be a start for us because yeah. we've done that before. So yeah, that sounds sounds good. So you you've mentioned your website. So what what's the web page? Because there's I think a lot of people will actually be interested in seeing the the story of how your rink was built. And then uh, if, what other information do you have that so for people who want to like know a little bit more about Belgium curling? Yeah. So um, curlingzems.com is uh, is where to go. And then there's a Facebook page where you have um, just type curling zems or zems curling. And there's loads of pictures on there about how we actually did the build. So uh, people can go there and, and, and fetch some of those as well. And then uh, they want to look at the uh, the BCA. That's uh, Belgium Curling uh, .be, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, super. Uh, so uh, is there anything else you want to add before we before we wrap up here? I think we we can say that we're a really fun club that really you know leans on the social aspect and um, we always welcome our visitors. I mean we even we get folks from not just from Paris but uh, we have some of the Spanish clubs uh, come up here for weekends and rent ice from us. Uh, a couple of weeks ago we had uh, two guys from the Dutch team, uh, Wouter and one guy, were over here to do some practice. Yeah, we're we're open for business and um, any kind of visitor is always welcomed with open arms. So. Um, Come and look us up, and um, we'll we'll make sure you you don't regret it. Oh, super. Uh, so thanks thanks so much for joining me today, Gary, and good luck in your your big game this afternoon. Hopefully you can beat the the top ranked team, and without that make you top ranked in Belgium if you win that game. Yeah, I mean we've beat them before, but not that very often. So we'll have to bring our A game and and, and hope for a couple of breaks. But uh, anyway, it, it's a it's a fun spiel. So um, any experience on the ice is good, right? Especially in summer. So, yeah, looking forward to it. And, um, no, thanks for having us and uh, letting us talk about Belgium curling. So um, anything to get the word out that we're here is uh, is highly appreciated. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. If you enjoyed this show, we ask you to please leave a review or tell a friend about us. Your referrals to friends and family are the greatest compliment we can receive and is what allows our show to grow and share our love of this great game. You can find all of our past shows and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. If you have a question or comment, you can reach us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to us, and we will talk to you again real soon.